Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And this is Keith. And uh, you should know that by now if you're listening to this very program. We talk a lot about the Dunlap Champions Club. Often it has to do with football season, but the season is over. It's in the rearview mirror. But very important note here, don't put the Dunlap Champions Club in the rearview mirror. One of Tallahassee's largest event spaces, the Champions Club is quickly becoming the go-to place for charity functions, meetings, and events located on the fourth floor. Champions Club consists of an east area, a west area, or you can buy them featuring floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Bobby Bowden Field, providing a spectacular view for all of your guests. We've been there. We've done it. It's worth it. Great event space. Uh, if the fourth floor doesn't suit your needs, there's also the sixth floor, whether it's the southeast terrace or the southwest terrace. Regardless of configuration uh, or number of folks, the Dunlap Champions Club, a great uh, event space and can accommodate your needs. For more information, Mr. Jones? Let's see. You should call the FSUChampionsClub.com. Excuse me. FSUChampionsClub.com do you website. Call, do you call the website or do you, you just log into you the You call the number. Oh, what's the number? The number is 644-1830 or, again, online, FSU championsclub.com he's keith i'm tom we're done broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row knowles with tom block and keith jones front row knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Good day, everybody. Your favorite time of week, Front Row Knowles, is here. And you should be even more excited than usual because Keith Jones is not. Just kidding, KJ. He does join us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. He is uh, right now in a Speedo uh, looking at the Pacific Ocean uh, or something like that. He's in Anaheim with the basketball team. And now that I've ruined everybody's drive home with that mental image, how are you, Keith? I'm doing great, other than I've been up way too early. I woke up this morning. Uh, local time at 3.50 a.m. Holy moly, well, I can't get used to this stuff. That, that would be 6.50 Eastern, so you're right on exactly. Right on time. Exactly. I've got the opposite problem because I was in Park City for the last week skiing, and that was two hours behind, so it was a little bit hard to get up uh, early this morning as I returned and to the And how many office. black diamonds did the, uh, did the uh, Block family uh, tackle? While Here, out there. Here's the way I'm going to answer that, Keith. I the same number as uh, torn ACLs that I have. Okay, so <laughs> e- everything is good. Everything is good. There were no crutches involved for the Block family as we made our way back. Well, good. I hope you had a good time. I know the kids had a blast. Yeah, they did. They did. My son's already a better skier than the rest of the family, and he's done it three days in his life. And he learned to ski with a cast on his hand because he's got a dislocated thumb right now. So there we go. Enough did about they, uh, when he took his first lessons. Did they tie the tips of his skis together? Uh, they did not. But they have you ever seen them do that? Yeah, I haven't. But that's one way to get them together. They probably don't do that because they want them to snow plow and actually. Well, I guess if just the tips are, they can do that. I've not seen that yep, done. Yep, that's the way it was done way back in the day. How about that? Was that when you were wearing leather helmets on the slopes? Uh, let's don't go there. All right, I'm sorry. Uh, speaking of which. I wasn't going to start with football, but the NFL has decided that pass interference can be up for review. So I'll just give you that warning, and when we get to our last segment, we'll talk about that. The story right now is that the FSU basketball team is uh, alive and well and out on the West Coast again, which is why you haven't seen your wife or Tallahassee very much in the last uh, two weeks. And, uh, frankly, that's a good problem to have, I guess, for the rest of us, KJ. So what was the experience? You're welcome. In, in, You're welcome. What was the experience in Hartford like? Uh, I mean, particularly that just complete boat racing of Murray State the other day, I was I was genuinely concerned going into the Murray State game because I had heard uh, of John Moret, but I had not seen him play. 
And we were fortunate enough to get past Vermont and then did a little bit of the wrap-up and uh, and, uh, end of the show that we do with catching uh, Coach Hamilton's comments in the press conference and, you know, all the things you do in post-game. And then Gene and I sat there and watched Murray State in their first game, and they were unstoppable. And this this kid, Morat, was just unbelievable. Again, had heard of him but had never seen him. And I'm going – he had – he had – you know, 16 or 17 assists in that first round game. So we go back and start doing the charts and preparing for them. And I'm going, there's no way that Florida State can contain this kid. Well, not only did they contain, I know he got 20 plus points, but they shut everybody else down. And you use the appropriate term. They boat raced the racers right out of that gym. Uh, it was a very, very impressive performance in round two for Florida State's basketball team. Yeah, and that's uh, you know several days old at this point, so we, we don't need to look back too much because it's uh, it's been covered, and and people are more interested in looking ahead to the matchup with Gonzaga, and we will do that right now. But also later in the show, uh, Dan Bonner, longtime broadcaster from Raycom Jefferson Pilot and also has called the NCAA tournament for a number of years. We'll be on the call tomorrow night. He's going to join us for a few minutes and we'll get his expert opinion on this. Uh, I'll give you a hint. He he likes Florida State in this matchup. I'm not saying... I like, I like Bonner. I mean, he's been a great friend uh, to Florida State for a long, long, long time. I hate, absolutely hate to see the ending of the, of the Raycom affiliation with the ACC because Bonner, I think, has been a part of that since day one. He has been, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that with him. Now, I'm not saying he he's picking FSU. I didn't ask him that question. He's broadcasting the game. He would have taken a pass on that direct question. You can just tell he likes Florida State's matchups. The one area of concern, and before we talk about how it may translate to the court tomorrow night, take us through any interaction, and I don't know that you had direct interaction, but just being around Phil Kofer and everything that transpired while you guys were in Hartford, Keith. Well, obviously, we were not in the locker room uh, when he received the call, but based on you know just observation, a couple of casual conversations, while you know Phil's dad had been ill for a while, it's like everything else in life. And, and you lost your dad a couple of three years ago. I lost my dad in '06. It doesn't matter the age, and, and in, in certain ways, it doesn't matter the relationship. That's still the father, and the news hit Phil pretty hard. Um, you know, when, when the call came in. And then during the, the Murray State game, I noticed a couple of times, one during the national anthem, when Phil was standing next to Terrence Mann, and, and Mann literally put his arm around Cofer's waist and appeared to be almost holding him up. It was like Phil, you know, really was ready to just fall down on his knees. And a couple of times during the game, you would see him not, not nearly as excited as the other kids, and, and other times he'd just have his hands in his in his is facing his hands and and you can't imagine uh, unless you've been through it and everyone is individually different but you know the heartache uh sunday morning uh the team flew back on the charter and coach ham and coach cy went with phil uh to his home outside of atlanta <clears throat> and um spent some time with the family and uh i'm sure our listeners are aware of the fact that phil is not in california he chose to stay with his his family, the funeral will be on Saturday. Uh, I'm doubtful that he will rejoin um, Saturday night. The turnaround would be too quick, but if Florida State were to get out of the third and fourth round and get into the final four, uh, I have every confidence to believe, even if he's not able to play physically, that Phil would be with the team up in Minneapolis. And as I know we all do, our hearts and prayers go out to the Kofor family and, 
and uh, everything they're going through right now. Certainly, I echo those sentiments. And what you just described would be a, a storybook scenario if Florida State could advance to the Final Four and Kofor is there, even if he's on the bench in sweats and not suited up to play. Because at that point, you'd have the, you know, how mentally prepared is he? Plus, he would have missed time physically. But I think the fact that he would be there, uh, we saw what, and, and I, let's go back to Murray State. So that, that boat racing, Keith, how much of that was just a better team? How much of that was chip on the shoulder because they got tired of hearing about John ja Morant? How much of that was we're not going to, we're going to win this one for Phil? Uh, you know, how do you kind of dissect uh, or, or how would you hand out, dole out those percentages if, as I'm asking you to uh, in terms of? Well, if I'm a coach or a fan, I'm hoping that it's 50, 60%. Let's play this game and let's play this tournament for Phil because that can carry over. Um, the kids were wearing a little uh, patch on their jerseys uh, with, um, with um, you know, uh, Michael Kofer's initials, Coach uh, the dad's initials. Coaching staff had pins. You would like to think that uh, that could carry over. They verbally said that they're dedicating the rest of the tournament to Phil's family and the memory of his father. Uh, that can be a great motivator. There's no question. Uh, so, you know, I guess you'd have to ask the kids individually, but uh, as a fan uh, of the team, uh, you would hope that that extra motivation could continue for four more games. It would be wonderful if it did. Well, you got to take them one at a time. So what was your immediate thought, or even when the brackets came out and you saw that Florida State had a chance to match up with Gonzaga again, and, you know, well, has, you know, has that, has that they changed? Beat Gonzaga. They beat Gonzaga by 15 in the same spot in L.A., uh, also in California, obviously, last year. Uh, there's just three big differences. Uh, number one, uh, Gonzaga did not have Clark, who, by the way, scored, th- what, 36-38 last time out. Uh, Tilly didn't play. Their other big man. And number three, this is, as Coach Hamilton has cautioned and educated all of us, it's an entirely different year, an entirely different team for both the Bulldogs and for the Seminoles. On paper, Tommy, this team's unbe- unbeatable. <laughs> On paper, they shoot 52, 53% from the field. They're right at 40% from free land. They're outscoring opponents by an average of 24 a game. They average 18 assists. They create turnovers. They have steals. They block six or seven shots a game. I mean, it's it's impressive on paper. The good news is the game's not played on paper. It's played on the hard court. And Florida State has every right to believe they can stand toe-to-toe with the Bulldogs. Uh, it will be a very, very difficult game, and it will be a monstrous win if Florida State is able to get by. And they are truly deserving, is Gonzaga, of being a number one seed. Well, Going back to to what I asked you previously, you know, is it athleticism? Because one thing that's not there this time around, there's no element of surprise or Florida State sneaking up on Gonzaga. I mean, if I'm Gonzaga, I'm excited that I have a chance to avenge what Florida State did to me last year. That would be the mentality I would take. That said, I think you're you're correct. That said, once the ball tips, I mean, part of the reason that Gonzaga shoots 53% from the field is they're a great transition team. But if you get into a transition game with Florida State, I, you know, you might end up like Murray State. There, there's only a couple schools in the country, I'd say Duke and Carolina, that really can go up and down uh, with Florida State. Now, maybe I'm selling Gonzaga short there, but I'm not sure that that's the style I would play if I'm Gonzaga, especially because you got to keep some guys back, uh, 
you know, to fight for some rebounds, unless you're just going to concede offensive rebounds to get back and stop Florida State. You, you bring you you dance around and bring up two points that I'd like to stress. Those were the <clears throat> Jones comments of why it's going to be difficult to beat Gonzaga. Here's the positive, uh, and, and number one, you're you're right on the money in transition. Florida State can run anybody out of the gym. They proved that against Murray State. And if FSU is able to get into their transition game, nobody can stay with Florida State in the transition game. Number two, Gonzaga only plays six. They only play six kids. The, the seventh and eighth kid that they play average about three and five minutes apiece. Now, this late in the season, that doesn't mean you're going to wear them out or wear them down. But what it does mean is if you get into a transition game, Florida State can substitute and Gonzaga's players can get winded, not worn down or fatigued, but winded, and Florida State can keep running new people at them. And that's exactly what you saw in the Murray State game. In fact, you know, my, uh, Michael Polite's son comes in uh, and, and plays 13 or 14 minutes. He hadn't played 13 or 14 minutes in the last five games combined. Anthony had been a no-show. He comes in, hits two big threes, gets a couple of steals. Savoy hits his first three. He hadn't been playing much. MJ didn't score, but he was unbelievable in assist and defense. And so you can run fresh bodies in between media timeout and and literally run somebody out of the gym with this Florida State team if they choose to do that. That's the positive, and that's why I think Florida State has an excellent chance to be victorious over Gonzaga come tomorrow night. So what's the negative? The negative is Florida State sometimes can't get into their transition game. They, they can't find the, the appropriate ways to push the ball up. And, and if they are unable to do that or choose not to do that and the game becomes a little slower, I'm afraid you're playing right into Gonzaga's hands. Well, it's interesting because I think Gonzaga would rather go up and down. And I have not seen uh, a ton of Gonzaga play this year, just looking at their numbers and hearing the comments that they've got a great transition team and that sort of thing. But just look at last weekend in Hartford as a snapshot. Your better play against FSU is going to be to slow it down like Vermont did and hit some shots. And they they might very well choose to do that at least early on and see if it works for them. Uh, And certainly Coach Few and his staff, I'm sure, are considering that. I want to go back to a topic we kicked around. Maybe it was two weeks ago in advance of the ACC tournament, Keith. But there's been a lot more I've seen on social media and just good positive comments about Terrence Mann and his legacy at Florida State. And I'm still wrestling in my head to come up with an appropriate comparison to who Terrence Mann is because he's not the guy viewed as the best guy on the team. Yet when you look at his four-year run, it's been remarkable. And last week he was – I mean, he just put Florida State on his back there against Vermont to get him through. But but he is just always a smile on his face, always a positive force for his teammates, just a really, really solid career. Well, again, I go back to my earlier comment. Who was standing beside Phil Kofer and consoling his friend during the national anthem prior to the Murray State game? I mean, that one snapshot will tell you who Terrence Mann is. The other thing I would tell you is I don't know, and we could spend some time. I'd have to, I'd have to pull out some stuff to remind me of names. I don't know who you would compare him to, who you would compare Terrence to as prior Florida State players. But here's what I would ask any of us. Who would you rather have on your team in the last three or four minutes of the ball game, in a tight ball game, than Terrence Mann? 
Well, he does so many things that don't show up in the box score, most notably pulling down rebounds. I mean, just think this year, there's probably been six games where he's gotten an offensive rebound or two with three minutes or less to go that has prolonged a possession and turned it from a 30-second possession to a minute possession for FSU as they're trying to chew up the clock. I mean, that that kind of stuff just doesn't show up. Uh, and the fact that he's added a three-point shot, that's been consistent. I mean, he was number five or six in the ACC. Now, he's not going to shoot 10 threes a game, but he's going to make two or three a game now, which was not part of his arsenal previously. Uh, Correct. And then the, the attitude, though, and, and this permeates the entire team, uh, and we, we had Sue Semrau on and talked about this, Keith, and and she's not going to put it this way, but the reality is Sue keeps a short bench because it's tough to manage a lot of personalities. Almost every coach does because people gripe about playing time. They want to transfer. There's all that. Leonard does the exact opposite and has for a long time, and it works. And this year's team, it seems to work better than any of his previous groups because everybody's bought into whatever their role is, whether it's jumping and being excited on the sideline or playing four minutes a game or playing 18 minutes a game. They're all bought in. And I would agree. I mean, there's been a few exceptions. Ike uh, comes to mind from last year. He was a kid that left because of playing time, but that's very, very rare under the uh, Hamilton uh, tenure, no question. Well, I guess to be uh, fair, CJ left for the same reason. But I'm just saying, generally speaking, if you can keep things on the rails, no, you're, yeah, yep, no, you're you're exactly correct. Uh, and you can tell, you can tell by the way the kids talk to each other on the bus. Uh, when they're eating dinner, when they're hanging out, you know, in the lobby of a hotel or when they're at practice or shoot around. I mean, this group gets along well. Now, they're not perfect. Not everybody loves everybody to the nth degree. But this is as well molded and, and blended team as I can ever remember seeing in my 19 years of doing this. We'll see what that translates to uh, tomorrow night. We tip things off just after 7 o'clock Eastern. Now, were you surprised, by the way, that Florida State got the first game against Gonzaga there? I mean, what's that, a 4 o'clock tip, 4.09 tip out there? Well, you got to remember, it doesn't matter what it is out here. It was what, on, what it is on the East Coast. Yeah, it's prime time, 7 o'clock, first game. Here we go. Yeah, I just thought it might be the second game with Gonzaga to try and get a little East Coast, West Coast. I know, TV dictates everything. Well aware. Uh, here on the social scene, it's Madison Social that dictates uh, uh, pretty much everything. Wear any Noel gear tomorrow to uh, watch the game. And Saturday, by the way, with the Final Four berth on the round uh, or on the line, and you get your second drink on the house. Uh, they're debuting Tallahassee's first midnight brunch at Centrale uh, this week. That might be for our younger listeners. Uh, although, Keith, you're getting so old that you start pretty early, too. So bear that in mind. There's a midnight brunch now at Centrale. Well, it may mean I went down from my nap at 3 o'clock and I just didn't get up. I slept till midnight. Now i got to go eat. Yeah, and then, you know, this is my speed. Well, speed's the wrong word, but the Tallahassee Beer Mile uh, comes up again this weekend. Uh, so check that out. No, so that fits your speed. Slow. Well, okay. Yeah, I, it just seemed uh, inappropriate to use the word speed there. Appreciate their support. Keith, we will get uh, Tim dialed up. We'll continue this conversation. Florida State and Gonzaga trying to move on to the Elite Eight. We'll continue to talk Florida State basketball. We'll get football and other FSU athletics programs into the mix when we roll on on Front Row Knowles.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles Coast to Coast Edition. We just pencil this in every year. Matter of fact, we use a Sharpie now. It's just going to happen that Florida State's going to be in the tournament and probably get sent to the West Regional, which means that uh, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, will get to travel out west with uh, Keith Jones. Tim is on the line now. Tim, how, how goes it? Well, it goes pretty well. How are you doing? Good. The, the real question I want to know, I mean, you guys spent time together in Charlotte and Hartford. And now we're out in Anaheim. Uh, are you wearing out the breakfast buffet at the hotels? Uh, and you can answer just for Keith if you want, Tim. No. But we did have waffles and chicken last night for dinner. It's true. It's true. And uh, there's an IHOP, like, attached to the hotel down here. So I think we'll be in pretty good shape. So wait a minute. You guys left the south and proceeded to have chicken and waffles in Anaheim? Well, I mean, this is still the south. I mean, we're like, you know, it's, it's a different kind of south, I guess. But it's, uh, you know. It's southern-ish. Southern-ish. It's called SoCal for a reason there, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Geographically, it's very south. Yeah, you're right. When I think of SoCal, I think of chicken and waffles. You guys are on it. <laughs> we'll get back to we'll get back to basketball in a minute. But uh, we, Keith and I didn't even talk football at all in the first segment. Now, to be fair, Tim, uh, spring break was last week, so there wasn't a lot of football news. But, uh, we, you know, True. we've gotten to this point where basketball – has become uh, a player on the national scene, and so appropriately our attention has been focused there. But, you know, to bring it back to football, the spring game comes up not this Saturday but next. Um, and I know you haven't had a chance to be out there a ton, but but one 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 question that's still unanswered is do do we know or do we have any idea when we might hear news about whether or not a waiver has been granted to, to Jordan Travis? Uh, I don't have any update on that yet. Uh, I, you know, I, I think the Willie Taggart's last words about it were, or so like when uh, when we know you'll know and um, and and they don't know yet. Uh, I you know I do think they're still optimistic about it. I think that the situation uh, down at Miami, where uh, where their transfer quarterback was granted uh, a waiver in, in his circumstances, certainly suggests that uh, the good news could be coming for Florida State and for Jordan Travis. But uh, Jews don't know, and then then that also kind of begs the question of if, you know if all these transfers and, and these waivers have been approved. Um, you know, what's the holdup? What is, when will Florida State's news one way or the other be coming? Uh, and we just don't know yet. So it's wait and see. Um, I'm to the point where I think I would be pretty surprised if, uh, if he wasn't granted a waiver just because of the way things have gone uh, around other parts of the country and in other schools. Uh, but we won't know until we know, and, and we're kind of on the NCAA timeline. I know, and I wish I understood that timeline. I don't know if they respond to these based on when the requests come in or if they just throw them in a hat and pull them out or, you know, they handle the high-profile ones. Or, But it does seem like the delays are uh, exorbitant at some points. Although, to be fair, with the news that Florida State has another quarterback coming in from Wisconsin uh, for the fall, I guess really uh, it's not that this is insignificant because it is significant, but it's not as pressing as it would have been had Florida State not landed Wisconsin's QB. That again, I don't understand what uh, what you were you were saying there. I kind of the uh, the bottom of this arena here. So the chicken and waffles uh, took precedent there. No, I was just saying the Jordan Travis thing, while significant, is not as pressing a deal as it would have been had Florida State not landed another transfer from Wisconsin. Um, no, and, I agree with that. Um, and, and you know, the truth is, I mean, they're going to have a, a all of a sudden a pretty 
crowded uh, quarterback room uh, in the fall. Now we'll see kind of, you know, where everybody fits in and, and obviously who's eligible and who's not. But in terms of, you know, if you were worried about just having depth and having bodies and having guys you know, literally who can go out and, and, and play the position, um, and, you know, more than just the two guys that you started spring with, uh, I think you're going to be okay in that regard. What else of note is happening or should we be paying attention to on the football field at this point? I mean, you know, man, I, they, they just got back out to practice uh, today. It had been a, you know, about a week and a half off for, uh, for spring break and then lining up the schedule with um, with the spring game and making sure you get your 15 practices aligned the way you want them to. So uh, I think they're just kind of getting back in the swing of things. It's kind of an interesting dynamic for me. I know, you know, Jimbo did before one time. Um, I think they split it up for spring break. Uh, but overall, it's been pretty um, uncommon for Florida State to do it that way. So I'm kind of curious, you know, once it's all said and done, if Willie Taggart will have liked it that way, if, you know, if, if it's good for guys to maybe uh, you know, break up the grind, I guess, of uh, a spring practice and, and you maybe come out for the second half of it, you know, a little more refreshed and renewed after, after being away for, for spring break. I'm curious to see um, how those uh, how that dynamic affects the practices, if it does um, at all. And, and beyond that, it's kind of just see how things play out over the next week and a half. No, if anybody cares, I hate it. I, I think it's silly. You know, schedule your practice where you can do your four weeks in a row, and and that way the kids either before or after have complete and total ability to beat kids again. But what do I know? I'm the curmudgeon. Sorry. Nobody asked. <laughs> nobody asked you, Keith. So two two points there. One. This might be the third year, but at some point recently, the university and Leon County matched up the spring breaks. And so that moved the university spring break a week later, which has probably made it more challenging to get four consecutive weeks because you have to push deeper into April to do it. But then the second point, Tim, this predates you maybe a a little bit. But, KJ, don't you remember that that Bowden and his entire staff, they would go on a spring break cruise every year during the middle of spring practice because that's when spring break fell. Were you ever invited on that, KJ? No. <laughs> that used to be the norm. They'd practice two weeks, and then it'd be university spring break, and there'd be a 10-day Alaska cruise for the coaches. I mean, we, we've progressed a long way from the 90s to where we are now in the college athletics scene. All right, Tim, uh, bigger picture, FSU athletics overall. I, I said it all year, and I think it's certainly more than fair right now with the women's basketball team coming, I mean, within a minute, really, within a couple possessions of getting to the Sweet 16. I think that's up there with as good a coaching job as as Coach Sue has done, given everything we've talked about this year. She turned over her entire starting lineup, had no seniors, lost three players to season-ending injuries, lost two assistant coaches. I mean, I, I don't you ne- you're never going to say that you're happy with when your season ends, but but I think they really did a nice job this year. Oh gosh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that going into this season, there's a group as you know facing all the things that you said that if if for some reason they were not to make the tournament, you would sort of look at it and say, well, you know, that's just kind of the, the way it goes sometimes when you when you hit your, your roster cycles a certain way. So for them to, to come together, spend you know pretty much the entire season ranked in the top 25, to beat uh, a couple high-level top 10 caliber teams, uh, and then uh, you know, make the tournament, win a game, and then, like you said, go up against a, a program who um, really has been one of the, the premier programs in college basketball over the last few years in South Carolina. I mean, I know um, the Florida State is, is certainly well familiar with South Carolina over the last few years in the NCAA tournament. 
and, and most of those, you know, quite frankly, haven't been pleasant. But uh, but a lot of those games, and really all, just about the one last year or one this year, excuse me, the one uh, in, in 2015 in the Elite Eight. I mean, those games come down to the wire and could have gone either way. Uh, I mean, you're right there. And I think, you know, the experience that you had this year, the success that you had this year, uh, knowing kind of what it takes to, to get to this level and then being able to reinforce that, uh, both with experience and then also some additions to the roster that will be coming in for next year. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you can see anything, but uh, but really good and positive things from, from what they did. Speaking of positive things, the softball team this year, now to be fair, I think it was over the weekend, I looked, I checked their record because I felt like they had dropped more games than I expected. And I looked and they're like 32-3. and three. So I guess that's uh, just unreasonable expectations when you're 32 and three as the defending champs. Things seem to be humming along pretty well for Lonnie Alameda as they're into the ACC now. No, I yeah, exactly. You know, I uh, I sort of had the I think we all had the dream of uh, seeing them go 60 and 0, but it didn't happen that way. <laughs> and uh, no, I mean they're they, again they're really really good. I mean they have a lot of players back from from last year's championship team. Um, you know, obviously I still think they have some things that they want to work out. A little bit, particularly in terms of uh, of a second starter. You know, Megan King is, is playing really, really well. Um, but then beyond that, I think they like to shore some things up. But but by and large, I mean, anytime you are you know, trying to, to find details to improve on, and you're thirty and three to start the season, you're in pretty good shape. All right, I'm not going to make anybody uh, talk about baseball in light of another loss to Florida. You guys were in California; the game wasn't televised. I did listen to most of it because my son wanted to listen to it. Uh, which I appreciated. We were coming back from uh, spring break, and he kept asking me when he could listen to the game. So, uh, Lulu, shout out. My son was listening. Unfortunately, three errors. Florida State doesn't allow an earned run, and they still lose to the Gators. So, enough said. We'll get to baseball whenever basketball ends and, and discuss that. Here's the segue, though. To me, it feels like right now when the Florida State baseball team takes the field against Florida, their mindset is that they can't win. Uh, and whereas on the basketball court, it feels like the team takes the hardwood right now and feels like they can't lose. I mean, would you agree that that's where we are from a mindset? I mean, yeah, it definitely feels that way when you talk to guys uh, in the locker room or just kind of around uh, when they're in the arena or, or watch them interact. Man, I mean, there's just a, a, a pretty kind of cool, confident vibe uh, to this group. Uh, I think they really, really like to uh, the idea of proving people wrong, whether that's you know, you've even seen it all season, whether it's, you know, whether pick could finish in the ACC or whether they're at in the ACC tournament or, you know, going up against a, a, an NBA draft, a future NBA star in John Morant. I mean, they like to kind of remind people, hey, you know, we're still here. And then when you look back at the, the results of the last two months, I mean, they lost two games uh, since the middle of January. Uh, and both of those games were to teams that are one seed. So, uh, I mean, it's really been a, just a remarkable run. Uh, for these guys, I mean, the kind of season that uh, I'm, I think will be memorable for a really, really long time, regardless of what happens uh, against Gonzaga. And then to me, it also it, it's kind of created uh, a real kind of air of almost mystery surrounding this game because I do think that the Gonzaga is a really good team. I think they're a better version of the team that Florida State beat last year, but I also think that Florida State's a better version uh, of the team that beat Gonzaga last year. So um, it, it's so hard to kind of get a read on this game and what exactly to expect uh, because, you know, by and large, these teams don't play each other that much, even having last year's tournament game as a point of reference. You know, Tell the, me if I can jump in on the second part of that. And our older listeners that have been with us for a while will, I think, appreciate this. Not only on the baseball side are the kids having a mental problem, I think, unfortunately, it also applies to the coaching staff. Remember, you and I talked 
10, 20 years ago, every time Florida State would play Miami, the coaching staff on the football side under Coach Bowden would would kind of panic, not 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 be you know calm, cool, and collected. I think this issue in baseball with losses to Florida has gotten to the point where it affects the players and the coaching staff, and, and it's going to take something really dramatic to to potentially rectify that. It, it's quite uh, interesting to me how mental, particularly on baseball, but how mental this has become for the Florida State program against the Gators. Complete aside, and and you're right that it that it is mental. Uh, this doesn't feel like th- that long ago, but I, I'm pretty sure it was 2010. So I guess we're we're approaching a decade. But uh, when I was doing the baseball games, this was early in in Sullivan's career down at Florida. That year, FSU and Florida played five times. They played in Gainesville, Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Tampa, and Omaha, and FSU won all five games. Right. You yeah. know, so they uh, but, eliminated him in Omaha. Yeah, they eliminated him in Omaha. That was with uh, uh, you know Mike McGee and Tyler Hole on that team. So. Man, it, it changes quick. And, Keith, you brought us back to baseball, which I, I was not trying to do. I was trying to stay on the basketball side here. Um, so let me let me bring it back there, Tim. I, I'm, I'm wrestling in my mind with the, the, the loss or the absence of Phil Kofer. On the one hand, it feels to me like they could really use his five fouls and his presence out there against Gonzaga tomorrow night. Then on the other hand, I'm thinking, if I'm Gonzaga, how much tape do they really have on Raekwon Gray or Wilkes or polite, or whatever else, whatever other bodies Florida State's going to throw out there in, in Phil's absence. No, uh, exactly right. I mean, you, you have uh, certainly Raekwon Gray's uh, film against Murray State, which is, you know, I think it'll be a help, and that was their most recent game, and he played pretty extensively in it. Uh, but, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, they're, they're a tough team to prepare for in general, and that was kind of one of the themes uh, of the locker room after that Murray State game. And, and you know, you, you kind of heard the talk. If you follow Florida State basketball, you kind of follow the uh, the talking points all year, but um, you know it's true. And that they have so many guys and so much depth and so many players who are able to contribute. It's kind of hard to know who to key in on, uh, you know. And so to me, that's a really big uh, uh, kind of card in Florida State's deck. And it's one thing, you know, the ACC maybe has gotten a little more used to it uh, than uh, than than somebody like Gonzaga will be able to. So I mean, yeah, if you want to key in on Terrence Mann or, or Keandu Cavangeli. Uh, and then teams certainly tried to do that. Uh, you know, you, you're going to leave Raekwon Gray open on the perimeter, and he's going to stalk you when he knocks down a three-point. How do you like Florida State's chances in this one, Tim? I do. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, talking to, uh, to Keith, he's probably been amazed at this point, is I think Gonzaga's maybe a little bit better than, than they're getting credit for statistically. I think they're really, really good. Now you have to factor in the, the conference and the competition that they play against. Uh, but man, now I think uh, I think they have a, a, as good of a chance as a number four seed has beaten a, a number one seed in this tournament. What have you got for us on Seminoles.com? I was uh, published a story that I that I had a kind of a, a fun time writing about the uh, the, the scout team walk on group that uh, is affectionately known uh, around the program as the uh, the Green Team Vipers. I explained uh, the uh, the origins of that and uh, the, the work that those guys put in to. Uh, to get the team ready to go and in practice and the scout team and, and kind of the uh, the respect that they've earned from the uh, the scholarship guys uh, as a result of how they handle their business. So it's a, it's a pretty fun story to uh, to work on, and I think uh, people really like hearing from uh, from guys like Harrison Prado and, and Will Miles. Well, bringing us back to where we started, I think we need uh, you know you need to to pen something, uh, type something, post something, whatever the term is about uh, the radio crew 
and uh, their dietary intake while they're on the road. Uh, they could they could rate the chicken and waffles. You know, we could let us let us know how the IHOP that's attached to the team hotel compares to other IHOPs. That sort of thing. I will, well, we, hey, hey, we've already decided that when we're victorious on Thursday night, within walking distance, Mister Block is a Morton and a Ruth's Chris, and we're going to be eating, we're going to be eating well after the victory. It's true. So yeah, and that's the thing, Tom. We can eat the the story has to be finished before you can uh, write it. There are still chapters to be written in uh, in that uh, that tale. Volumes of chapters to be written. Yeah, hopefully it involves a chapter in Minneapolis as well. Uh, Tim, we appreciate it as always. Uh, stay safe out there, have fun, and uh, hopefully you're there for several more days. You got it, fellas. Appreciate it. Tim, don't go. Uh, I mean, uh, Keith, rather, don't go anywhere uh, because uh, you're you're on the clock and you're part of the show. So whether you like it or not, you got to stick around for another segment, folks. Hopefully, yes, you sir. do the same. Front row Knowles rolls on momentarily. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. As you know, KJ's out in Anaheim with the Knowles. He's uh, taking a hiatus this segment, probably out on the beach, having a cocktail with an umbrella in it or something like that. But we'll continue the conversation about FSU and Gonzaga as we reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Really pleased to bring to the program a longtime voice of uh, college basketball that FSU fans should know well from uh, years and years of uh, coverage, uh, being behind the mic with uh, with Raycom and, and many other outlets as well. Dan Bonner will be part of the broadcast crew tomorrow night. He joins us now. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Tom. Hope you are. Doing doing very well. Uh, we've become a basketball school these last couple of years, so Florida State fans are still adjusting. I will say this. It, it makes it a lot more fun when your school is around for the second weekend because, this, as you know, is when it when it really gets serious. And this year, certainly with all the top seeds advancing, uh, we've got some good matchups on tap this weekend. Oh, we've got some great matchups, uh, Tom. I read somewhere that the sum of the seeds is the lowest in the history of the NCAA tournament since they started seeding. And so I think that speaks to the quality of the competition that we're going to have. I will jump right to the Gonzaga FSU matchup. I know you're at the arena as we're recording this, and so you've got a lot of prep work to do for the broadcast. But what's your first thought when you saw that we had a rematch between Florida State and Gonzaga? What went through your mind? Well, what went through my mind, it was uh, a decisive win for Florida State last year. And so I'm not sure that Gonzaga has really changed all that much. Uh, they probably, of course, they have a year's experience. They've got Brandon Clark that they didn't have last year. Killian Tilly will probably play, and he didn't last year. Uh, but I still think that uh, it's going to be difficult for Gonzaga, as it is for everybody else, to go against that Florida State defense. And my goodness, if the Seminoles are going to make 11 threes, I think they can feel pretty comfortable against any team they play. Well, that's certainly the way us Florida State followers feel if they're going to knock down. If you're going to get three threes from Raekwon Gray and P.J. Savoy is going to knock <laughs> some in, then then you're going to take your chances. But let me go there first because Phil Kofer, you know, the subplot here, uh, and that's a poor choice of words for me to use that in light of the passing of his father, uh, is that Kofer is, is not available for Florida State, uh, you know, Thursday night or this weekend at all. From an on-court standpoint, what does that mean in your mind or how does that hurt Florida State? 
Well, certainly it hurts Florida State. Uh, Kofer is one of their best players. The one thing I will say is they were forced to play without him for uh, a good portion of the season, and so it's not like they can't play without him. But you always like your veteran guys, your guys who have been there and done that, uh, your guys who have shown the capacity during their careers to take and make big shots. You always want them in a situation like this. And so it's very unfortunate for a number of reasons, mainly family reasons, that uh, Phil Kofer isn't here. But uh, I, I, I think that that will be a loss that will be difficult for Florida State to overcome. But they have had such a deep team all year, I think that they'll take it in stride as they've taken everything else in stride all season long. Dan, when you look at Florida State basketball and the tenure of Leonard Hamilton, FSU was very patient with Coach Hamilton, uh, particularly in in the stretch that preceded this three-year run of going to the NCAA tournament, i.e. they made it four years in a row and then missed four years in a row. A a lot of programs might have gone a different direction at that point, but FSU didn't. Uh, What's your general sense or or thought about what Leonard Hamilton has has done? Really, two parts. The university sticking with him, but then what Leonard Hamilton's been able to do in his time at FSU in in a conference like the ACC. Well, the first question, uh, what about the university? What just shows you they got smart people running the athletic department? Because it's going to be hard to find a guy like Leonard Hamilton, uh, a person who can who just builds teams, and that's what he does. And uh, okay, they're not going to get the you know the greatest players in the world all the time. They have gotten McDonald's All Americans, but that's not normally the case. You know, they bring guys in, they develop them. Uh, guys come in and they play hard for them. Uh, they play together really well. They guard the heck out of you. And that's, that's just the way Leonard Hamilton's teams have always played. And, uh, I mean, they, they don't have scandal. Uh, they graduate their guys. So you can have a guy like Leonard Hamilton. Uh, you'd be crazy not to keep him. You mentioned developing players, and there's a lot of guys that, uh, you know, could fit that category under Leonard. Uh, Al Thornton, certainly one of them. Tony Douglas, after he transferred in from Auburn. Uh, and, and a number of other guys, but but Cabin Gailey's the big one right now who fits that mold. So what's impressed you most about his development? And whenever Florida State stops playing basketball this year, the second part will be FSU fans wondering, is he going to go pro or not? What's your thoughts on whether or not he's ready or might be better served by coming back another year? Well, I don't know that he's ready. Uh, I don't know that any of the kids who go are ready, but uh, in terms of playing, I think they're all ready to go to the bank, cash checks, uh, and I think that's a big deal. With the money that is available to these kids, it's hard for them to stay if they can be guaranteed that they'll get that money, that they'll be first-round draft picks. And I don't know. The NBA is, has always confused me. They draft people based on potential much more than they do on uh, results. Uh, remember, Malcolm Brogdon was the second-round draft pick, uh, and he became the rookie of the year. So and they were everybody was scared for, away from him because he was a fifth-year guy. So I don't know. I think there's a good possibility that Cabin Gelly will have a chance, but I don't know that uh, if he's. I think he's smart enough that he's not. If he's not guaranteed a first-round selection, then he won't go. Well, and he's got the counsel of his uncle Dikembe to help him make that decision. What about his development and 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 how key is he in this matchup tomorrow night? Well, I think he's incredibly important, and he's developed the way the guys you mentioned. Uh, uh, it just seems that they do when they go to Florida State. Uh, obviously, his ability to shoot the jump shot, that bouncy athleticism that he's had, he's done a better job you know, keeping himself out of foul trouble. So, again, it's just another one of those really impressive developmental things. They do with Florida State under Leonard Hamilton. 
Mark, I think Mark Few made the comment, or maybe it was, uh, to be fair, it might have been an analyst that said it, but the, the, the premise was that this is the best transition team that he's had at Gonzaga. Uh, Florida State, you know, and I, I go back to last week's game against Murray State where they tried to go up and down with Florida State and got a bad result. Now, Gonzaga is better than Murray State, but do you really, what I'm asking is, how do you see this game unfolding? Is this an up and down, both teams just going end-to-end action, high-scoring game tomorrow night? I don't think so. Last year's game was 75 to 60, and I would not be the least little bit surprised to see a game in the mid to high 60s. I, I just don't think uh, that Gonzaga is going to be able to get out and go against Florida State because Gonzaga is, they're going to really have to fight on the defensive boards because Florida State's going to attack their own offensive boards. And I don't see the Seminoles turning it over against Gonzaga. And those are the two ways that Gonzaga gets out and goes. So those are sort of the keys by default. But uh, how does Florida State win this game? Well, I think what they do, uh, they win the game the way they've won 16 of the last 18 games. They get down and they make it really difficult for their opponent on every single offensive possession that their opponent has. It's hard to score. And then, you know, if they make shots, they can beat anybody. And I think that's what they do. They make it difficult for Gonzaga on the uh, on Gonzaga's offensive end, I think that in particular they pressured Josh Perkins. I think he's the head of this particular snake, uh, and they make life difficult for him. And then at this time of the year, Tom, you got to be able to do one thing, and that is make shots. And so if they can make shots, they'll be fine. Dan, we look we look forward to the broadcast. Uh, let me get one comment from you on the way out about the end of the, the Raycom uh, Jefferson pilot era, if you will, now that we're moving to the ACC network. You were a part of that for a long, long time. So I imagine it's bittersweet. I mean, it's a sign that the conference is progressing. But at the same time, uh, that was really a unique arrangement. And, uh, uh, you know, it was well out in front of, uh, of what was going on around the, the college landscape when it got started. Well, Tom, it's, it's, uh, there's no sweet in the bittersweet for me. Uh, I was with Raycom, uh, Raycom Jefferson Pilot the entire time, the entire 37 years that I'm just really sorry to see all that go. That was a great family, uh, literally a family atmosphere that they created. Uh, they worked really well with the ACC. And, uh, you know, I hope the ACC makes all the money they think they're going to make. Uh, but I'm just, uh, I'm very disappointed that Ray comes out of the picture. They were a big part of my life, and I'm sorry to see them go. Yeah, and that, that makes sense to hear it from your perspective. Dan, I'll let you run and get prepped for the broadcast. We look forward to hearing it. Enjoy your work. Uh, thanks for what you do for uh, college basketball and college athletics. Thanks, Tom. Dan Bonner, who will be part of the broadcast crew for uh, CBS and TNT tomorrow night. Kevin Harlan has the play-by-play. Dan Bonner and Reggie Miller with the uh, color commentary. And Dana Jacobson will be on the sideline for the rematch of Florida State and Gonzaga, which uh, we're ticking closer as I talk to uh, to tip off. A little bit over 24 hours away from FSU trying to get back to the Elite Eight. We will get back to front row Knowles right after this break. Stay with us. so good like anything was possible hit cruise control and rub my eyes the last three days the rain was unstoppable Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, a few more minutes to close things out. Thanks to uh, Tim Linnefelt uh, for joining us. As always, Dan Bonner 
Uh, it was great to, to catch up with Dan, who, Keith, you and I both know. You see him more frequently than I do with your travels with basketball, but appreciate him joining us to add his insight. Look forward to the call tomorrow night uh, on this broadcast, as well as and the call from you and Gene. You talk to him, Tommy. I guarantee you when you talk to him, he had tennis shoes on. I didn't ask that question, but that's... Uh, I guarantee you that's all he wears, tennis well, shoes, even with a suit. Well, <laughs> good, good for him. Good for him. I, you know, many of us sportscasters used to wear shorts while we were anchoring the six o'clock news. I won't name names or admit whether or not I was included in that group. Hey, I'm looking at this Gonzaga schedule and you mentioned something in the break. You know, they're 16 and 0 in conference and nobody's challenging them in conference at all. Though St. Mary's did beat them in the, in the conference tournament. Uh, and in some respects, this this is not a perfect comparison because Florida State validated it at the complete national level by winning a national championship. But when you think about FSU football in the 90s in the ACC, they had no competition. I mean, they beat everybody by 35 and 40 points. And they got their validation from going against Miami and Florida and then in bowl games and having that bowl streak and all that. But Gonzaga is a little bit similar in that regard. Uh, you know, they've got a win over Duke this year. They played Tennessee well. They lost at Carolina. What they don't have is the validation at the ultimate level. And, you know, if you're a Zags fan, you're hoping, praying, thinking maybe this is the year, and you're upset that you got to go through FSU to try and do it. Uh, agreed. And if they do pull it off, if does, and Gonzaga does pull it off, that, that will be – the crowning of them as a legitimate program. Up until now, they've been uh, in the mix, but they've not gotten over the hump, so to speak. And I know Coach Few has talked about you know, their need to schedule non-conference games, which you have referenced. You know, they play Duke, they play Carolina, they play Tennessee. Uh, he has to do that because uh, the West Coast Conference just doesn't challenge this team on a national basis or a national perspective in the way, obviously, the ACC does to an FSU. So uh, look for them to continue that march. And, again, their their validation, unfortunately, won't come until they, they get over that last hump. That's their, their last um, uh, quest uh, to be considered a truly, truly elite national program. If you need somebody to help build a championship uh, project, do-it-yourself project, whatever it is, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They will take care of all your power tool needs, help you out with whatever the project may be. You can find them online at ctf.nu. Call them at 580-1200 or visit one of their two locations uh, here in town, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. KJ, a completely different topic that we haven't addressed, but this news just came down yesterday, and I know you'll have opinions about this. But the NFL, in light of the debacle that happened to the Saints that prevented them from going to the Super Bowl, where everybody knew there was pass interference that was missed, the NFL, through heavy lobbying by Sean Payton, the Saints coach, has decided to make pass interference the first penalty that's reviewable. So what say you? Uh, I've got mixed emotions, uh, as do a lot of folks. But I will tell you one thing that I did not know that has heartened me in the, the what, 24 hours of this has been out there. And most people don't know this. I didn't. But the Canadian Football League has been doing this since 2014. Were you aware of that? Was not. So there is a body of work in terms of how to do it, that if the NFL is smart, they'll go up and look at some CFL stuff, talk to the CFL people, and instead of just implementing it and trying to see what happened, maybe borrow some tips and things that have been learned uh, from our friends up north so that the implementation doesn't end up being as bad or as difficult as, unfortunately, most of us fear that it will be. 
I like the move. I don't think they had a choice, Tommy. I mean, that, that call, or no call, as it were, was so egregious that the NFL had to do something. I just hope they may learn a little bit from our neighbors to the north when they implement it and won't be as bad as we fear. Does that make sense? It, it does, and uh, we won't get into a whole replay conversation. I just feel like with the technology being so good and the fact you could review everything, at some point there's just going to need to be a cap in every sport, college, pro, there's going to be X amount of reviews, and after you're at the limit, you're at the limit, which is not perfect. But I mean, the the, it, the games just get too long with all these reviews. It occurs that to me, is obviously the fear. That's obviously the fear. It, it occurs to me, and we got about two minutes to go. That we did not, we did this whole show, didn't even ask Tim about it. And this is this is this speaks to both programs, unfortunately, in some ways. Here, basketball's riding high. Florida State's pro day is tomorrow, and we didn't even mention it. And Brian Burns and where he goes uh, is is the biggest player there. But you've got some other guys who are, you know, they're going to get invited to camp. Whether or not they get drafted or not, it's a, it's an important day for them to to show what they can do. I'm talking about the Eberleys and, and other guys that are eligible at this point. Yeah, and I think the commentary, unfortunately, is a sad one in that it's not going to be unlikely, and it's probably going to happen where FSU only has one, count them, one kid drafted this year. Now, he'll be a top 10 pick, but... Uh, agreed, that, agreed, but there's only one of them. So that speaks, and we don't have time to get into it, that speaks to all the fuss and fretting about Florida State didn't land a top five recruiting class this year. It was only number 15. Well, the class that was a top five class, there's only one of them that's going to get drafted this year. So, yep, and what do, what do we say about these uh, five stars versus three stars that come in? And oh, I didn't, oh I didn't, wait a minute. We ain't got time for that. I didn't want to go into a five-star versus three-star uh, conversation again. You know, oh, I've, that's going to that's be on my tombstone. Coach Bowden's tombstone said at least he played Miami. KJ's tombstone is going to be three-star versus five-star. You pick. You know, the Wake Up War Chant guys call Ira five-star Chauffel. I'm going to start calling you three-star KJ. There you go. <laughs> Keith, uh, enjoy IHOP while you're in Anaheim. Hopefully, Ruth's Chris and Morton's is also in the plans after a win tomorrow night. After a big win tomorrow night, I'm going to enjoy it. I will. All right, Keith Jones is just racking up the hotel points, the frequent flyer miles, the calories. He's doing it all. He'll be on the call with Gene tomorrow night, Florida State and Gonzaga, 709 Eastern tip. And uh, if things go well, Keith and I will once again have to do this show from separate locations next week because he'll be in Minneapolis for the Final Four. And, uh, and I'll be here. That's just the way it rolls, unfortunately. Thanks for tuning in. We do this every Wednesday. Talk to you again next week.